0: are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I'd like for you to turn in your Bible to the second chapter of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, chapter number two. And I'm going to read beginning with verse number one then I'd like for you to turn also in your Bible to Acts chapter number 1. And I want to speak to you from verse number 8 and verse number 5, but especially verse number 8. And I want to speak tonight on the power of God and how you can have the power of God and what is the power of God. I don't know that I have all the answers. I'm going to make a stab at it. I'm going to try to say some things about the power of God. And what I fail to say, I pray God will make up the slack and you can find your way from that point. I don't know that I can say what I feel and what I'd like to say about the power of God. But it's good to have been here. And I just sincerely appreciate the invitation from Brother Curtis Hudson and also the great Hospitality of Highland Bar Baptist Church and Tennessee Temple University. I respect and admire both Dr. Faulkner and Dr. Robinson and have for many long years and always shall. And I appreciate their lives and their leadership among independent Baptists. So glad to hear this young preacher from Greenville, Tennessee, in that great? Uh, who have uh, been delivered from pedo-baptism. And uh, I, it's been a long time since i heard of a Methodist preacher baptizing people. That's great. And pedo-baptism is not baptizing, not New Testament baptizing. But I appreciate this young man, and may God let him live long and build a great church in one of the most wonderful areas in all the world, no place in the world like East Tennessee, around Greenville and Johnson City and Kingsport, wonderful country. And I pray God will help this young man build a great church there and reach many people to God's glory. Now, it was our joy to drive up with about 40 of our people on the Greyhound from Greenville, and I'd like for these dear ones, if they would, to stand to their feet. I'd like Dr. Robinson, I want to see the group, and I want you to see the group that came with me or I came with them. They're back here together. And then my grandson's over here. And I just appreciate these dear folks most sincere. Thank you so much for coming along with me or allowing me to come along with them. Now, I've been pastor of this church into 33 years. And I decided a long time ago that I'd just uh, stay there the rest of my life. And uh, Lord has to speak loudly to get me away from Tabernacle as long as I'm able to drive my car and the Carolina thought. Now, I don't see any need for a preacher to move. Not at all. Well, uh, deacons can move just as easily. So, uh, uh, I, don't, I don't like for deacons to do that, but I don't like for pastors to have to move either. So we've got along well. I have 30 deacons. We uh, rotate our deacons for 10 years on every year. And I've had wonderful fellowship with our deacons down through the years. And with the, and by the way, the chairman of our deacons here tonight, Brother Casey, you stand up? Chairman of our deacons from Tabernacle. Where are you, brother? I, don't know, I don't, Maybe he's out with the bus. He's going to the driver. I don't see him. Where are you. Why are you here? Your hand. All right. Well, he's with us. He rode up with us also. Although with several other deacons, some of the charter members of our church, they've been right there with me all these years. I appreciate each of these dear people. They are my life. And I appreciate them most sincerely. And it's been a good time. I wish I could just tear with you, but I'm scheduled to preach tomorrow night over in Dayton, Ohio, and I'll have to get back home and get up there by by air tomorrow. And you pray for me as we drive home tonight and then make that trip on tomorrow. If you ever come over to Greendale, you'll want to visit Bob Jones University. That's the, what I'm concerned, a big attraction around Greendale, is Bob Jones, a tremendous place. Visit the campus, a lovely place. You'll enjoy it, I'm sure. And then another place you'll want to visit is the Gospel Hour. And not any preacher in the 20th century has reached more people for God than Dr. Oliver Green. And if you ever come to Greenville, don't miss going by the Gospel Hour office and stepping out to the cemetery to the mausoleum where he's buried and visit his grave. You might ought to do that. And then uh, down the line somewhere, if you have the opportunity to visit the tabernacle, i be glad to have you come by and see us and fellowship with us and uh, worship with us. If you're there on Wednesday night of the Lord's Day, I'll just come by and say how we have folks come by every day, and always a joy. Many of you pastors who are here tonight have been by, and we appreciate each one of you. And God bless you, everyone. A lot of things I'd like to say uh, to you pastors, I appreciate each of you, and we give a happy and in a way. Well, I don't hesitate to call, in particular, about the home that Curtis uh, mentioned a moment ago. In fact, uh, Brother Hudson Church began supporting the home early when we started it, 21 years ago. And, uh, that, uh, church still supports Brother Bill as pastor now. And check comes every month from Forest Hill Baptist Church. I appreciate it, Brother Bill, with all my heart. Bill Pendle, thank God for Bill. And for the work that he's doing there, uh, in uh, Atlanta, Decatur. And to each of you, many of the pastors here tonight, support the home. And if you ever need to use it, uh, call on us. Now, we don't take any juvenile delinquents, no mentally retarded children, no sick children. Uh, we're not uh, capable to take care of those or able to take care of those but any orphan child whether it's an infant in arms or a 12, 15 year old boy or girl will take them if they need a place to live there's no fees, no interest fees no promise of money we trust the Lord take care of the needs it costs about $25,000 a month to operate the home to pay the salary and buy the food and the building and so on but the Lord's well taken care of that down to the years and, and I'm sure he will so if you need to use the home you call on us, and we'll do our best to try to help you with that ministry That is, if you're independent. Now, if you're a Southern Baptist, you call on your own crowd. But if you're independent, you call on the home of Tabernacle. It was designed to serve independent Baptist churches. And I'm an independent preacher. have been 33 years, and will be, the rest of my life. Now, I want to speak to you tonight on the power of God. I wish you'd help me. I wish you could tell me what to say. I would deny you all that ought to be said about the power of God. And it seems the older I get, the longer I preach, uh, I'll learn less about the power of God. What is the power of God? How can we have the power of God upon our lives? How can we know that we have the power of God upon our lives, if indeed we have it? And how can we know if we don't have the power of God upon our lives, if indeed you don't have God's power? In our day we hear a lot of things about the power of God that I discount, i don't I just don't accept it. in the Greenville paper yesterday, somebody cut out the advertisement, and we have a channel on the TV they're operated by Pentecostal people, and they were advertising a woman who said that she died and uh, spent, uh, I think it was five and a half hours or six and a half hours talking with Jesus and conversing with Jesus. Well, I don't believe in that. I don't accept that kind of thing. I I think that witch of Endor lied to Saul. I think the witch of Endor was a crook. And Saul earlier had expelled them all out of Egypt. I mean, out of Israel. Because of their trade, their soothsaying and fortune-telling. He had them all run out. and Then got in trouble, sent for the witch of Endor. And she lied to him right down the line. She said, I see God's, G-O-D-S. I see God's ascending. That's a lie. There's only one God. And when that witch said, I see God, she lied to Saul. And don't believe anything she said. And I don't put the stock in that kind of a coming back from the grave. That same group had on the TV this week a white-headed man, an older man, older as I am, older. And he said that he, went, he died and went to heaven and spent four and a half days with the Lord. Four and a half days. I wonder what he did the other half today. I, I believe if I could spend four and a half days, I'd his hesitated to come back. But he said he spent four and a half days with the Lord, talking with the Lord in heaven. I don't believe a word of that. And you're naive if you believe that. And if I had a TV program on and that kind of stuff came on, I'd turn it off. I wouldn't even watch it or listen at it. Now, that isn't the power of God. I don't put any stock in that. I believe the Bible is a sane, sensible, logical, systematic, a system of faith and grace, uh, things that we can know about from the Scriptures. We don't have to have these wild-eyed people have these far-out people to tell us about some experience they might have had. I just don't want to hear that kind of stuff. And uh, you hear a great deal of it these days a, on the radio and the television that you dare not put it a stock in. Well, what is the power of God? We, I think all of us will admit there is such a thing. I'm going to read the text in a moment or two that tells me that there is such a thing as the power of God. How can I have that power? How can I use that power? And how can God get a hold of me to use me with the power of God? Now, let me try to say a thing or two about that tonight. Now, we'll turn back uh, to Ezekiel, and I want you to hear this scripture. we we'll get into verse 1. And God said unto me, Son of man, stand upon thy feet, and I will speak unto thee. And the Spirit entered into me, verse number 2, when he spake unto me, And set me upon my feet, that I heard him that speak unto me. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. For they have impudent impudent children, and stiff-hearted. They are impudent children, and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them. And thou shalt say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, they are, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear, and then look at the brackets, a commentary, while they are of a rebellious house, they are a rebellious house, whether they are going to hear you or whether they will forbear, yet shall they know that there has been a prophet among them, and that you are that prophet. You're to preach to them whether they accept what you say or whether you don't, whether they don't accept what you say. Whether you're able to win them to God or not or whether you can't win them to God, you're to preach to them, thus saith the Lord. And thou, son of man, be not afraid of them, neither be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns be with thee. And thou dost dwell among scorpions. What a description of Israel and the attitude toward the prophet and toward God. They're going to give you briars and thorns, and even uh, you'll dwell among scorpions. But be not afraid of their words, nor be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. And thou shalt speak my words unto them, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. That's twice God has said that now. For they are a rebellious people. You are to speak my words to them, whether they repent or whether they don't. You are to speak my words unto them, whether they hear you or whether they don't hear you. But thou, son of man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like that uh, rebellious house Israel. Open thy mouth, and eat that I give thee. And then you see an unusual thing. When I looked, behold, uh, an hand had sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. That sounds like the revelation prophecy, doesn't it? And he spread it before me. And it was written within and without. And there was written uh, therein lamentations and mournings and woes that the people were going to experience because of their rebellious attitude. Now I want you to note twice that God says carefully to Ezekiel that he's to prophesy to them and speak unto them, Thus saith the Lord, whether they respond or whether they don't. You're to preach. Thus saith the Lord. Now, I'm sure that every preacher in this building many times have mourned and groaned and lamented over the fact that you're not able to reach your people. I've been pastor 44 years in Greenville County, and I've lived to be the oldest preacher in my county. I never dreamed I'd have that uh, distinction, if you call it that. I never thought when I began preaching that I'd ever see that day when I'd watch them all come and go in my county, and I'd still be preaching but I've reached that particular point. But uh, Greenville is not one to God yet. As far as I can tell, my city is as far away from God tonight as she was when I began preaching in Greenville County in March of 1940. I can tell very little difference as far as the people are concerned. If anything, and I don't want to be a pessimist about it, I wouldn't be surprised if it's not in a worse spiritual condition tonight than she was 44 years ago. And we've had great preachers in our city. Great preachers live in our city. And I mentioned Dr. Green a moment ago, and undoubtedly he reached more people in the South in his lifetime than any man alive. I run into them all over the country everywhere I go, and especially in Virginia and eastern North Carolina and in the other areas. Great man of God, Dr. Green. Up in Pennsylvania, great revivals in his lifetime. But he did not win Greenville to God. And he was native. Born in Greenville, lived in Greenville all his lifetime, buried in Greenville. Dr. Bob Jones, I guess one of the great evangelists of all our generations. And I have great respect for him. I remember him very well. Preached with him in meetings and ate with him uh, both there on the campus and out in meetings where I preached with him. And a great soul, been in his office time and time again and talked with him time and time again. And he was concerned about our church. Preached at Tabernacle in his lifetime. A great soul, Dr. Bob Jones. But his body lies in Greenville, and he did not reach my city. He moved to our city in 1947 and brought that great school to Greenville. But as far as I can tell, hardly a scratch on the surface as far as reaching our city is concerned. And then we had other great men, men that are yet living, others that are gone that a witness to my city, and then here I've given all my life witness into our city, and we have not reached the Greenville. I'd be a little bit naive, I'd be a little bit unfaithful and truthful to you if I gave you the idea that we have just about gotten the job done. We just haven't gotten the job done. In fact, I don't know of any church in the city of Greenville who has gotten the job done. The fields are wide and the harvest, and the labors are few, and we just haven't reaped the harvest. We nor have we had increases we should have had. We've had some blessings, praise God, for every blessing. We've baptized a few, thank God for every one. But Greenville is yet to be reached. And I suspect the same thing is so with Chattanooga, and the same thing is so with Knoxville, the same thing is so with Atlanta, is yet to be reached. Now, how are we going to reach these cities? How are we going to reach people in our own immediate community? I don't know that I have the answer to that. It seems that we've tried this or the other. We've done this and we've done that. If I knew, if I thought that I could go home to Greenville tomorrow and go to the bank and make our arrangements to borrow $250,000 and put on a 10-day revival meeting and bring in a great preacher and there's some among us that can preach, and they're God's men indeed. And as a result of that uh, revival, 10 days of some great uh, preacher in the city auditorium, we could baptize just 100 people. I'd go to the bank and borrow the money. But it doesn't come that way. It just doesn't come that way. I don't know why it doesn't come that way, but it doesn't come that way. You see, I've been there and watched it down the old years. We had a a great evangelist of renown come to our city uh, a few years back, 15, 18 years ago, I suppose. And he spent 357,000, according to his own report, in 10 days. Oh, you talk about advertising and every advantage you can think of, radio, newspaper, television. You talk about personalities, congressmen, senators, important men, wealthy men, entertainers, all kinds of country folk singers and other kinds of entertainers on the platform with him. Greenville Ministerial Union on the platform with him. I was not on the platform. In fact, I was not even invited. No. And I'm the, I pastor one of the largest churches in the area, but I didn't even get struck for mail from that meeting. Not even a phone call. No, I was not in. I would not have accepted him invitation had I been invited. But anyway, uh, he spent ten there, ten days there with three hundred fifty-seven thousand dollars, and in his paper he said we had seven thousand decisions. And I use the word deliberate because that's the word he used. I found one person, and I've been there all these eighteen years. I found one person that gave testimony to me uh, that he got right with God in that meeting. I know of no church in our city that received any increase. The First Baptist Church pastor was chairman of the committee and the month that the evangelist in my city, I saw their bulletin and they re- received four people into their church that month and let it out free. No, I've nothing from it. I know of no church in my city, of any denomination, that had anything from that meeting. That just isn't the way. I'm more convinced tonight, may I say this in passing, I'm more convinced tonight, if we ever have revival that you've been hearing about tonight, and I, I don't quite agree with uh, uh, equating evangelism and revival with the one and the same thing. As far as I'm concerned, evangelism is one thing revival is another. And I preach that. But I better not preach that here because I'm not in good company at that particular point. I believe in revival, but I believe in evangelism too. And we're, we're not to equate the two together. They're to be separate in our thinking. And if I knew I could, I could win a hundred people and baptize just one hundred people, Oh, uh, with that $250,000, I wouldn't hesitate to go borrow the money and put the meeting on. But it isn't done that way. I'm more convinced that if we ever have revival, it's going to come through our local churches. Now, I don't know that I've always believed that. When I was a young preacher, I had the idea that if we could have revival through citywide meetings or through the radio or through the television. And by the way, I've never baptized in my long life one convert saved from television. Looks like I would stumble on one. Occasionally, but never baptized one, Dr. knowledge that was saved listening to a TV program. But uh, it, 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 the local church, I believe the local church is God's agency of evangelism. And the older I get, the more I see that if we're going to have an increase. It's going to come from our services. It's going to come through our church families. It's going to come through our Sunday school. It's going to come through our visitation program. It's going to come by our own witness and our own people. If you expected some evangelist to come in and reach your city, it hadn't been that way in Greenville, and I've been there a long time. just hadn't been that way. Now, I believe in the evangelist. I was Dr. Green's pastor for more than 20 years before he died. I conducted his funeral, And I, I now pastor five evangelists, full-time out. doing I believe in the evangelist. I use the evangelist. But the local church, I believe, is God's agency of evangelism. Note I said evangelism. Right. Now, revival. How can we have the power of God? We want the power of God upon our lives. I I want that in my own life. I don't have many other days to preach. My life is rapidly and swiftly passing away, and I'm aware of that fact. Not many more days. But I want God to use me every day that I have. I, I don't want any days off. I take no vacations. I've never taken vacations. I don't want any time off. I want to go on and on. My, my doctors say you need to stop preaching. My wife says you ought to stop preaching and, and so much. And my people would be glad, I suspect, if I did. But uh, all my years I preached every week. Every week. And I, I hesitate to turn them eating down. And yet I, I, am going to have to, uh, slack up my pace. I'm aware of that fact. But I want to go on. I want my life to be a blessing. How can I be the blessing I want to be? I want my ministry to be a blessing. I want to help people along the way. I want to help my deacons and my teachers and my singers and my people. I want to evangelize, sure, but I want revival among my people as well. And brethren, if you'll get a good revival among your people, that's a good uh, uh, long step down the way of evangelism, you see. The reason some churches don't have uh, any evangelism is because they don't have a revival. You get a singing choir and a shouting preacher and an amen corner, and you have somebody at the altar. It'll work. You need a good revival. Good revival. Uh, I, I don't wonder that some churches are dead because I find preachers are dead. They just don't have any life about them. No enthusiasm about them. Get a little fire in your soul. Ask God to start a fire in your heart. Call your circle and get in the middle of that circle and tell God to tell a on fire. Unless you you'll get right in the middle, of it. and then go to the pulpit and burn. Go to the pulpit and preach. Go to the pulpit and shout if God puts it on your heart. Amen. Amen. I was driving home from a meeting one night. I'm still talking about the power of God. I was driving home from a meeting one night and God said, I want you to preach tomorrow. He said, not audibly, but in my heart, on John 3.16. And I said, Now, Lord, I have a sermon already for in the morning. Thank you. And I kept on going down the road. About a hundred miles down the road, the Lord seemed to say again, Now, tomorrow, I want it to be John 3.16. And I said, Now, Lord, I'm an old preacher. You let these young men handle that verse. I have found through that verse so many times I'm ashamed to get up and preach on John 3.16 to my people. We broadcast our morning services, and I'll be a little bit apologetic to use that simple text. And uh, you get somebody else to do that. And I thought I had God persuaded the other hundred miles down the road. God said in the morning, John 3.16. And I said, Now, Lord, if you want John 3.16, it'll be John 3.16. And I forgot about my sermon. And the next morning I preached on John 3.16. And heaven came down, heaven came down, and glory filled my soul. And I got to preaching like a novice. I got loud and excited. And sometimes when I get loud and excited, some people uh, from the, through the hymn book, I wish you wouldn't do that. I wish you would do that. But the Lord just poured it on me. And I preached, and I rejoiced, and I shouted on Sunday morning. And the old devil said, what will the city fathers think about you? I said, devil, it makes no difference. If God wants John 3.16, it'll be John 3.16. You get a little fire in your soul, and that's a long way toward evangelism, you see. The power of God. I think you'll need that. To face that kind of people, he needed the power of God. To face your kind, to face my kind, we need the power of God. Now let's look at Acts chapter number 1. It says in uh, verse number 1, The former treaties have I made unto the oath of the of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up in the heaven. And uh, after he through the Holy Ghost he had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. And the commandments uh, involved... Uh, to tarry ten days. Don't go back to Capernaum. These disciples had been away from Capernaum a long time. And the Lord knew that the moment he went up, they'd go up to Galilee and Capernaum. They'd go home to their families, their wives, and their children. So he said, now don't you go home. I'm going to heaven. You tarry ten more days. You tarry ten more days. He tarried with them for forty days. And then he'd been there with them a whole week prior to the crucifixion. And then three days in the grave. And that's a pretty long time. And those twelve had been with him from Capernaum down to Bethany, back in power to Jerusalem a long time. And they hadn't seen the children of their wives. And the Lord said, Now I'm going up, but don't you go home, you tarry. Him. And he gave commandments that they were to tarry for ten days. Now in verse 3 it says that he showed himself alive after his passion, after his death, by many infallible proofs, and was seen of them for forty days. And uh, speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together, that is the Lord being assembled together with the twelve, commanded them that they should not leave Jerusalem. Don't you depart. I'm going to heaven. Don't you leave Greenville. uh, That is Jerusalem. Don't you depart from Jerusalem. But you wait for the promise of the Father that I talked to you about back in John 16. And in John 16, the Lord had said, When I go, I'm going to send you another comforter. And he's going to be one just like I am, with the same power, the same omnipotence, the same omniscience, the same glory. I'm going to send you one, and he'll abide with you forever. And he'll teach you and guide you in all the ways of God. So you carry until that power comes upon you. And then in verse number five, he said, "Uh, John truly baptized you with water. And that was a matter of fact. John is the first baptizer. But he disciples and believers are about to be baptized in a few days with the Holy Ghost. Now here the Pentecostal people say is the baptism of the Spirit which to them is the fill-in. Now I want to say to you with all the earnestness of my soul the baptism of the Spirit is not the fill-in. The baptism of the Spirit is regeneration. And once you get regenerated, you're that moment baptized of the Spirit into the body of Christ. Now, in verse 8, we're going to see the power, but in verse 5, it's not the power of God. And when the Pentecostal people talk about being baptized with the Spirit, with the evidence, speaking in tongues, they've wrestled the Bible, they're not preaching the truth. That's not the fulfilling. Verse 5 is not the fulfilling, but rather the miracle of the formation of the body at the initial uh, formation of that body at Pentecost. And you and me, one by one, as we're born again, are baptized of the same Spirit into the same body. Right. And so in verse number 8, here's my text for the subject. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is going upon you. And hard on the heels of that announcement, it go, he goes on to say, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. I never read that, except I marvel that God himself relates the filling with witnessing. And he shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And in the very next breath, he said, and ye shall be witnesses. Now he said nothing about a miracle ministry in the next breath. He says nothing about an emotional experience in the next breath. He says nothing about anything magic or mystical in the next breath. He says nothing about tongues, an unknown tongue in the next breath. But in the very next breath, he said, and he shall be witnesses unto me. I'm thoroughly convinced that the power of God is given to to we as believers for that one basic purpose. Now, I think there are byproducts. I think there are other blessings that we enjoy. For example, the Holy Spirit is our guide and our teacher. He's our comforter. Uh, He's our sealer. He's our companion. He's our blesser. And there are many other blessings from the Holy Spirit. But basically and fundamentally, the power of God's Spirit is given to you and me only
1: to enable
0: us to be the witness that God plans that we be in this sojourn. And it doesn't make a difference to me how many conferences like this you go to, or how many seminars you might attend, or how many books you might uh, read, or how many sermons you may hear. You'll never be the witness God wants you to be until the power of God Comes upon you. And ye shall see power after the Spirit of God comes upon you. And he then, and not until then. And you cannot be a witness until then. And I, I like to make this uh, offer, uh, submit this to you also. Once you've been filled with the Spirit of God, you are automatically a witness. You don't necessarily have to try to be, you just naturally are. And you cannot be a witness. Until and unless the Spirit of God comes upon you. Matter how talented you may be, how gifted you may be, how wealthy you may be, how educated you may be, you cannot be that witness without the filling of the Spirit of God, the power of God to come upon you. And once the Spirit of God fills you, then automatically, as natural as anything in the world can be, you have been a witness, and you cannot be otherwise. Now, what is this power? What is this power? Now I'm at the heart of my message. What can I say? May I say negatively that this power that I'm talking about is not in forms of godliness, however beautiful they might be. If the power of God is upon a church only because they have a beautiful service, then the Catholics can outdo all of us. That pope, brother, he knows how to walk. He knows how to handle his hands. He knows how to make his cross. He knows how to wear his mitra, He knows how to wear his shoulder straps. He knows how to wear his garment. Oh, he's champion at a beautiful service. And you go to the Catholic Church and they like candles and they chant choir songs and they march their choirs and, and they are read and you don't have to hear anybody talk loudly like I do. And nobody gets excited, no amens to disturb you. No songs will be sung. No invitations are going to be given. Nobody at the prayer altar. If you want something beautiful, just go on to the Catholics. And the Episcopalians can do a good job of that same thing. But I, I don't think the power of God is in forms of godliness. I don't think so. However beautiful they may be, that is not God's power. Then I'd like to say also that the power of God is not in money. Our churches are pretty well, uh, financed. The average church. This church how beautiful this building. I have no idea what this building costs, but I would say several millions of dollars have gone into this building. And I guess you have some poor people around. Down at Tattler, go, everything we have is produced by poor people. We don't have any great amount of money. But you know, it takes more than money to have the power of God. I mean, great churches sometimes can be as dead as four o'clock in the morning. Beautiful cathedrals can be dead. And many of them are. You have churches in Chattanooga who don't even turn their lights on on Sunday nights. And they have beautiful chandeliers. They cost thousands of dollars and they don't even light them up. Nobody there look at them. Things dead. And you wouldn't have to leave Greenville to find something like that, nor Chattanooga to find something. you find plenty of them all about you, all over your state. Now, I don't think a beautiful building or money is necessarily the power of God. Then I'd like to say that education is not the power of God. Now, I, I believe in education. We're engaged in it uh, at Tabernacle, And I, this year will be our 25th year in Christian day school work. And I believe in training. Uh, we train young preachers. I believe in that. I'm part of that and recommend it. Dr. Green used to say a call to preach is a call to prepare. And I believe that. But you might study and still not have the power of God upon you. You may know your Greek, and still not have the power of God upon you. You may know how to uh, how to analyze and outline a scripture. You may know your grammar, and still not have the power of God upon you. Education is not the answer. Now, education is good, but it's not the power of God's Spirit by any means. And then, personality, dynamic personality, is not necessarily the power of God. I was with a young preacher over in Richmond, and I said to him. You're just too handsome, young fella, to be a Baptist preacher. You're headed for a lot of trouble. And he was young in his early twenties. He didn't realize what he was headed into. I had been along the way, and I knew he was headed for a lot of trouble. And sure enough, my prophecy fell true, and he's out of the ministry. Handsome young fella. As far as personality, concerned, he had it made. When I shave myself every morning in my life, I say, Lord, what in the world do you ever call me? I have no natural ability. I have nothing about my personality uh, that would make me have uh, anybody. I just don't have it. And so the rest of you fellows are in the same predicament I am. There was a while I find a nice, handsome fellow, well uh, groomed and well uh, endowed, five talented, and thank God, we find them that way. But most of us are one talented. But I'm sure glad God can draw a straight line with a crooked stick. God doesn't need a five-talented man. He just needs a man. God doesn't need a handsome man. just needs a man. And if you'll be that man, God can fill you. You may not have great personality. You don't have to have that. God can fill you with the Spirit. And use you do if you'll be that man. The power of God is not in dynamic personality. Those things could be used, and I admire them when I see them. But that's not necessarily the power of God, not at all. Not at all. And I'm going down to listen to me mention other things that the power of God is not from the negative uh, standpoint. But let me, let me leave it just a moment from the positive. Number one, I'd like to say to you that the power of God is regeneration. Now, you couldn't deny that. You might not have started at that first point as I have. You might have started with some other thing. But all of us will agree that basic and foundational and fundamental Everything we are is because we've been regenerated. One day, God found us and saved us by His grace. And all that's been built upon that foundation had to start with an experience we call regeneration. And so the power of God is regeneration. If you've been truly saved, you're a candidate. Whether a woman or a man, whether a preacher or a layman, whether one counted or five, if you've been truly saved, then God can fill you and use you to be the witness that you would have you be. So the power of God is in regeneration. Right. And then number two, the power of God is faith. Faith. Would it, be, would it be possible to even imagine that you could have the power of God upon you without faith? To trust in the Lord and to believe God and to lean upon him and to take him at his word? Uh, 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 you, you you have no power when you doubt God you have no power when you doubt God's ability no I one time heard a man say if when I preach nobody walks the aisles I'm dead and I didn't answer it, but I thought to myself I pity you are you preaching only to have people walk the aisles why not preach to God's glory brethren Right, I preach many times and nobody's saved. I wish i could get a whole host of people at the altar every time I preach. I would that every time I went to the radio, and I've been on the radio and we're heard now we're about a hundred radio stations all over the world. And I would that every time I went to the radio every day of my life, I could have dozens of people write to me and say, "Say I was saved," but it's not that way. And I would that every time I gave an invitation to Tabernacle, dozens of people come follow, but it's not that way. Sometimes nobody comes follow. Now, I'd like to see folk come forward. But is that going to dampen my spirit? Am I going to release a tirade against my people? Am I going to blame my deacons and blame my Sunday school teachers and blame my church members and, and start fussing and fighting and pick up a club in my hand and beat my people because nobody walks the house? Am I going to indict my Am I going to resign and quit preaching? No, no, no. I'm preaching because God told me. And I read to you a while ago where God said Ezekiel, this crowd you're going to be pre- going to preach to are a hard-hearted crowd. And they won't believe you. They're not going to accept your gospel. But I want you to preach to them thus saith the Lord, whether they accept it or whether they don't. Now brethren, I want to ask you a question. Why can't you preach and let God handle the results? Why do you have to say that? I've got to have ten people down the aisle. I've got to have a dozen people down the aisle. And then you don't get it. You're sour with your wife, and sour with your deacons, and sour with your No, why, why do you do that? There's no faith involved when you do that. You take the situation into your hand. Uh, you're like a farmer that goes out and sows grain in his field. puts good grain, uh, uh, seed down. And all the gospel seed is good seed. There's no bad seed. There's some bad soil, but there's no bad seed. All the gospel is good seed. And all the corn the farmer puts in the field is good seed. And he puts it down one day, and he comes back the next day, and he says, I don't see a thing, not a thing. I'll get the mules together, and I'll plow it up. Well, wow, he's a nut. He's crazy. Now, if you will let that seed alone, if you will put that seed in the ground and let it alone, God has a way. Why can't you believe that? Why do you roll and up on your pillow and, and spend sleepless nights? Why don't you say, now, Lord, I preached today the best I could. And and, and that's not much for me. But I did the best I could, Lord. I, I can't preach like I wished I could. And I can't explain things like I wished I could. And I don't have the personality that I wished I had. But, Lord, I gave you everything I had today. And I didn't see what I'd like to see. But I'll see you next time. Same station, same time, same gospel. I'll be right back next to the Lord. I'll be right back, and I'll be telling the same story. Why can't you do that? And if you don't have enough faith to do that, forget about the power of God. If you can't preach and believe that you handle gospel dynamite, then forget about the power of God. God doesn't have to have you. You're not that important. You're not that great evangelist. God doesn't have to have you. Now, he needs your voice to sow that good seed, the gospel. But once you've sown that good seed, you let God handle it. And let God do what he wants to do. And if he saves four or five people, they shout about it and get happy about it. If he doesn't save four or five people, say, thank you, Lord. I'll see you next time. I'll be right back. You can tell him, Lord, I'll be right back. If you can use me, I'll be right back. And I'll do my best next time I get up. Now, not every time I preach, I preach to... As many people uh, Echo, we have here tonight. At Tabernacle, we see better than a thousand people. We fill the church up Sunday morning and Sunday night. And I preached to 800 people last night at Premier. At Tabernacle. And I thank God for the way our people come to church. But I go off to meetings and preach to 25 people. I'm not as faithful to 45 as if if I, I am to you then I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. And I ought to be out of the ministry. And if you are not as faithful to 100 as some of these men are, to 5,000, be ashamed of yourself. Now, you preach the Word of God and let God handle the result. That's faith. And when you have faith, that's power. And then the power of God number three is faithfulness. Just staying at the job. Faithfulness. Staying at the job. Just staying at the job. I don't find any a place to stop, brethren. I I am one grievance of the God. But I do believe tonight that this is the most wonderful thing in the world, this book. And I believe the story of this book and the gospel of this book is the most wonderful thing in the world, whether grievance attempts it or not. And I still get excited about it. I'm an old man, but I get excited about it. Amen, David. I get excited about it. Hallelujah. Amen. Right. I get signed up about the Gospel. And I love the Gospel. And I'm not about to quit preaching as long as God gives me breath in my body. Whether those hard-hearted people in Green it or not, I'm going to keep on screaming it out, lifting up the matter. you go back to your church and preach. If they won't hear, preach anyway. If they've you with stones and punch you with wires, preach anyway preach when everybody you can don't worry about what you can't you do your best and God will take care of the result faithfulness 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 in season out of season it's required of a student that he be found faithful now you, you young preachers and, and uh, us little preachers come here and see this beautiful building and they'll go back home and see our little building about the size of this choir and if you're not careful you'll get so down and so defeated I heard Dr. Bialiki say one time, Bialiki, and he was one of your great champions as well as mine, he said, I wish I knew how to handle 45. And he was a great preacher. And I've heard him say, Lord knows I don't know how to handle 45. Why don't you just be honest and tell God, you can't even handle 45 without His help. And you take what God gives you and you be satisfied and you move on. And if you'll be faithful to that little church about the start of the clock, you might let you build a big one someday. But if you wouldn't be faithful to 45, you wouldn't be faithful if you had 450. And God knows that. And if you're God. not faithful where you are, you wouldn't be faithful anywhere in the control. world. But you be faithful. The power of God is faithfulness. And then number four, the power of God is prayer, is asking. I think it's utterly impossible to imagine, and I've got to quit. It's utterly impossible to imagine the power of God without prayer. Don't even talk to me about it. And brethren, I wish I could preach you a little longer about that. Most of you fellows don't pray. Now don't be too pious with me. I know I'm one of you fellows myself. You just don't pray. Wonder how many preachers have calluses on your knees, on your praying knees. I've got a fellow with me right here in this church that came up with us on the birth. He's old as I am and he's not able to work. His health is bad. But we were building a building at Tabernacle. And I was out there one day watching. And he would torn his trouser leg. And I could see his leg above his knee. And I could hardly believe what I saw. And I walked over to him and took hold of that overall trouser and pulled it back. And laid my hand on the callus. On that boy's praying knee as big as my hand. And I said, God bless you, Harold Dixon. God bless you. And I knew that many, many a time he'd bowed on that praying knee, praying for me. I wonder if we have calluses around these. Don't, don't talk to me about the power of God when you don't pray. Every Baptist church, including this one, ought to have a prayer room. And deacons ought to go, and teachers ought to go, and singers ought to go, and preachers ought to go. You're a hypocrite as a preacher if you tell your people to go pray and you don't pray. There can be no power without prayer. You ask God and He'll give you. If you then, believe, will know how to give, give, give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? And upon your bended knee, every time you get up to preach, you ask God to fill you and help you and anoint you. And He will. And then last, the power of God is the Lord. If you have the power of God, Jesus has to come upon you. Jesus has to give it to you. And when Jesus is real in your life, and when He has charge, you have power. And you may not be aware of it. I I personally believe, if you think you have power, you don't have. The moment you become aware of power, you lose it. God's not going to let you glory. He's not going to let me glory. God has a way of pulling the rug out from under our feet. He's not going to let any of us glory. Uh, don't ever get to the place where you think you apprehended no you have the power of God totally unaware of what you're doing you just don't realize what your presence does in a cafeteria in a truck stop in a finish station you just don't know what radiates from you and I'm not talking about some kind of a mystical something that the PTL crowd talks about but I'm talking about good Bible religion, just radiates from you, and everywhere you go, if you have the power of God to bring you, that power goes out of you to touch the lives of people, and you're totally unaware of what's taking place. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website